Um, before I get into the word today, there's just a few things that I, I want to share with you guys about. Um, so these are very anointed announcements. You're not going to hear any more anointed announcements than these today, I'm sure. Um, the first one I want to tell you about is this, the Church Centre app. Now, um, those of you who stayed behind a week or so ago to um, get access to life groups on your phones and things like that, We've taken the whole process a little step further. So whether you're on Android or whether you're on um, an Apple platform, you can download this app. It's called the Church Centre app. It's spelt like that with the American spelling. And when you install it on your phone, um, as you go to install it, it will ask you which church you're part of. And when you find Open Heaven Church on there and you install it, instead of um, constantly having to log in and out of apps to get access to what's going on, that app will um, automatically have whatever the latest um, is from Open Heaven Church. Now, we're still developing it. At the moment, it's got the church calendar on there, or most of the church calendar, and it's got our life groups on there. So um, I, can I just encourage you all um, to install this particular app um, down the track, we'll be able to um, introduce registration for events. We'll put access to our YouTube channel on there. Whatever's going on in the church, you'll be able to see just by opening that little app. You won't have to go to a website. You won't have to wait for a text message from me. You'll know what's going on. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, my next announcement is that next uh, Saturday at 10 a.m. The reason it says the 16th slash 17th is that for those of you watching on YouTube today from the United States of America, for you, this particular prophetic ministry meeting will be somewhere between 4 and 7 p.m. on the Friday night, the 16th of October. If you're in the United States of America, we usually get quite a number of people joining us from the States, and it's on Zoom. So if you'd like to... Um, if you'd like to be part of that meeting, there's prophetic worship. I usually bring a prophetic word and then we go into prophetic words of knowledge. So the emphasis is very much prophetic. Um, we've had some extraordinary um, miracles happen during those meetings, people being healed and delivered and all sorts of things. And our ministry teams from within Open Heaven Church and some ministers that have joined us from overseas will be ministering during that. I'll be sending out a text message um, during the week. If you're watching on YouTube and you'd like to know how to, to, um, to register for that particular meeting, you'll find the details on our YouTube channel or you can go to our Facebook page. And I just want to commend that to you. Um, announcements. What else have I got? Kerry, would you like to come up and share about um, a belated <laughs> yum cha? The ladies haven't been for yum cha for a while. I know this is by popular demand. Okay, we did it like maybe in February this year or something. And because of that little virus, it shut us out. We couldn't do it anymore. Okay, so now since Sydney is reopened again, okay, we just want to have some fellowship. And yeah, so and uh, sorry guys, this is only for the ladies, okay? Don't try to dress up and try to trick me, okay? 
<laughs> You'll be booted out. All right. So, and um, uh, this one is at uh, Iron Chef. Okay, there's a car park at the back. There's a tiny lane. Or if you are like me, the best way is go by train. No problems of parking. And also wear your joggers if you can that day. If you want to go with me for a tour to Cabramatta, you have never been there. Or we'll, we'll walk around. I'll show you the smelly fruit that John likes very much. It's called durian, okay, if you don't know. All right, he loves it, okay? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just joking, all right? So, and um, come and see me. I need some numbers and names, okay? Um, all right, and uh, we'll, we'll go there, have a good feed, have some fellowship, okay? And, you know, just uh, for those people who don't know what it's all about, is actually the Empress food. Okay? This was created in China when they had an emperor, and the emperor is super fussy. So he had 99 dishes served to him at every meal. 99. Okay? He was a big boy. And, yeah. <laughs> no, he's skinny like me. There's something about Asian they can eat and not put on weight, okay? <laughs> it's a miracle of God, okay? <laughs> okay, um, okay, sorry, Alpha, this time I cannot invite you, okay? And no chicken feet. All right. Thank you, honey. And you know, um, even though as my wife's emperor, this is really prepared for me, No? Okay. <laughs> but I, I, I must confess that, you know, I, I didn't want to put you guys through an experience that I myself had not walked through personally to, you know, make sure, you, you know, it wasn't going to be fatal to you. So I went and had yum cha with Kerry the other day at that place. And, you know, like, you know, I'm prepared to make sacrifices for you guys. And that's, that's one of them. And I can tell you that you'll survive the experience. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Also, want to uh, commend to you next Friday night, uh, we have Tony Romero, who's uh, the leader of Victory Outreach, Outreach, coming to preach here next Friday night. Our Victory Outreach was started as an offshoot of Teen Challenge in the United States of America, and they run what are called recovery homes. So it's like he brings uh, guys uh, into... Um, uh, an environment where they can recover from addiction and things like that. He brings guys out of jail and um, he's got a tremendous personal testimony himself. The guys that he'll bring in, be bringing with him have got uh, tremendous tes testimonies as well and you will be wonderfully blessed. So that's next Friday night. I want to commend that to you. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and get into the word. So Lord, I just want to thank you for your presence in this place right now. I want to thank you, Father God, that where the presence of the Holy Spirit is manifested, that, Lord, transformation is the agenda. Amen. It's always the agenda for our hearts, Lord, that we be transformed, changed from glory to glory. I would pray, Father God, that as we 
dive into the word this morning, that you would come and take us from one level of glory to the next. And that, Father God, I would declare that no hindrance in the spiritual, spiritual realm can stop what you want to do in your people this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. So the title of today's message, as you can see up there, this is part four of our Ecclesia series, and this is Building a City with Walls. And uh, I had a really unusual experience in the lead up to this because God gave me a scripture out of Proverbs and then took me to a story that I thought was kind of unrelated. And uh, then he began to piece these things together in my heart. And so... I want to start off with a bit of a testimony of something that happened about six years ago. Um, my wife, Kerry, along with Pastor Sylvia, went on a, a tour to Israel. And we saw a number of amazing places, not least of which was being on the top of Mount Carmel, where um, Elijah had his confrontation with the prophets of Baal and seeing some of the extraordinary places um, in Israel that were uh, really moving and really brought home to us the reality of, of what Jesus walked in when he, was, uh, when he was physically present on the earth. But there was uh, one in particular that God brought to my, um, God brought to my remembrance um, over this last week, and it's to do with the city of Jerusalem and something that's there in the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem is the most fought over city in the world. And it has a history unlike any other place in the world. And one of the uh, things that's extraordinary about it is that from the time of David, King David, it was chosen by God to be his dwelling place. Those of you um, who are familiar with the Bible story will know that David was given responsibility for bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He set it up on the place where the Temple Mount is today and uh, set up the very first 24-7 house of prayer in effect where people were 24-7 prophetically worshipping God, uh, ministering, praying, interceding. Uh, prophetic worship was going on. There was dance ministry, everything, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And David himself built his home next to that location. You can look from where David built his home up to the Temple Mount where the tabernacle was in his day. And this area came to be known as the city of David. And so on our tour there in 2014, they took us into the city of David and they have excavated King David's palace, the place that he lived. And you could actually, um, at, at the top, there's a few little souvenir stores and stuff. And then you go down into the bowels of the earth, into these excavations, and you can see all the different rooms in his palace, which was just extraordinary. And... Uh, at one point, we made our way through some excavations and out onto a terrace that was really a rooftop. Oh, that's me and Kerry <laughs> in Hezekiah's Tunnel. Is everybody familiar with the story of Hezekiah's Tunnel? Anyway, we won't get into that today, but this is what I wanted to show you. So this is the excavation of King David's uh, palace. And you can see that it's at the top of a hill and it looks down over the neighboring uh, buildings. And sometimes you need to actually visit a place to get uh, a fresh impression of something that you've read about many times. 
And so we stood out on that terrace and I thought for a moment, I thought, hey, you know what? This is the place where David stood when he saw Bathsheba. Does everybody know the story of Bathsheba? David and Bathsheba, right? One of the one of the terrible, terrible, terrible stories of adultery and betrayal in the Bible. And I'm going to break this story down a bit for you today and we're going to jump through a couple of episodes in history to get to the heart of what God wants to teach us today about the concept of being an ecclesia. And so this particular story, you cover the first part of it in just five verses in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so I'm going to go from these five verses and then we're going to jump around a little bit and get to what God wants to do in our hearts today. In 2 Samuel 11 verse 1, it says, It happened in the spring of the year, this is at the height of David's kingship over the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, uh, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. What was David? He was a king. Where was he supposed to be? He was supposed to be with the army. What was he supposed to be doing? Taking territory for Israel and making sure that the borders of his nation were protected. But he stayed where he was not supposed to be. And you can just think of the history leading up to this moment because we know of David as a psalmist. We know know of him as somebody who is on the run for some, uh, sorry, on the run from Saul. Um, But we need to be aware that during those years that uh, that that David was on the run from Saul, God was training him for what He had for him. He was training him. He was preparing him for his kingship. And one of the most important aspects of his training was that God trained David to seek the face of the Lord no matter what his situation was. It was at the key to all of his breakthroughs. There were times where everybody deserted him and yet he would humble himself and seek the Lord and God would release breakthrough and he would come through in victory. Year after year after year after year, there were Countless impossible escapes and only God could have orchestrated countless breakthroughs. Even after he was crowned king of Judah at a place called Hebron, he had to wait another seven years before God released the fullness of what he had for him. And so during all those years, he developed as a prophetic psalmist, as a man of war. But most importantly, he developed as someone who knew what it meant to have his character formed to the degree that God named him in his word as a man after God's own heart. Is that your cry? That you would be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Because I want to tell you, it's going to take some vigilance. So here he is, and he's conquered everything that there is to be conquered, even though his borders are occasionally under threat. And he's picked this prime location in Jerusalem, and he's built his house there, and he's got the city built around him, and he's, he can look down over all of that valley. And then we go to verse 2, and we see what happens. 
Because here he was relaxing in Jerusalem when he should have been where God had called him to be. Verse 2, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. This is a photo that uh, just zooms in just a little bit. And uh, I want to clear up a couple of things here. Rooftops in Israel are not like they are here. They're not like the roofs that we have in Australia. If you try to climb up on my roof, it's not a comfortable place to walk around. In fact, you require a safety harness if you're going to work up there. But rooftops in Israel, especially in ancient Israel, were terraced rooftops and people would spend time on them. And not many of these buildings still have this particular feature today, but a lot of them would have steps leading up to the roof. You could do things up there. And so David's, uh, David's terrace was at the top of the hill, so every other rooftop, courtyard or back garden in his vicinity was in view and everybody who lived around there knew that's King David's palace. So before you lay all the blame for what happened next at David's feet, you have to ask yourself the question, what was Bathsheba doing naked in full view of the king's palace, whether she was in a courtyard or on her terrace roof or uh, in any place of public view from that place, from from the king's palace? Stark naked in her backyard, in full view of the king. And so then the, 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 uh, some, of, some of the position that is taken is, oh, it's Bathsheba's fault then. She was a temptress. She was a seductress. She was trying to tempt him into adultery. But whatever position you take on the question of Bathsheba's culpability in this, You have to conclude that the outcome was David's fault and David's alone. If he was where he physically should have been with the army, he never would have even seen her. If he was where he spiritually should have been, he would have turned away the moment he caught a glimpse of her naked form. And David was the king. His decisions were absolute and nobody could come against them. Whether Bathsheba was a seductress or a victim is to a degree beside the point. The responsibility for what ensued from this point lay with David. And we'll see how nasty it actually gets. Verse 3, So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And the story gets much, much worse here because Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. Have you guys heard of David's mighty men? David's mighty men were the equivalent of the modern SAS or Special Forces or Green Beret. These are the guys who were with him from the beginning, the outcasts, the offcasts of Um, of Jewish society who had flocked to him and had wrestled um, the kingdom away from the usurpers and had brought uh, David into his kingship. They were the most loyal people in his kingdom and Bathsheba was the wife of one of his most loyal army commanders. 
But David compounded his sin by sending for Bathsheba anyway, and Bathsheba had no choice in the matter. When things went south, we'll see how he tried to resolve it. Verse 4, David sent messages and messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Our actions have consequences. David, in his uh, desire to solve the problem, eventually, we won't get into the whole story, but eventually he arranges for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to be killed in battle. In other words, in effect, he was responsible for this man's murder. He marries Bathsheba and he thinks he's gotten away with it. This is the man after God's own heart. He's plotting these things while there's 24-7 going on, worship going on, just up on the hill. He can probably hear him from his palace. And here he is plotting murder. Kind of ties in with your message, John. But then the prophet Nathan shows up. It's a double-edged sword to want a prophetic church. Because a prophetic church operates in the revelation of God. A prophetic church does not rely on its own uh, human understanding or human direction. A prophetic church listens for the voice of God and responds to that no matter what the difficulty might be. David is totally compromised in uh, what he has done. Nathan shows up and exposes his sin by telling a parable about a poor man who has a single ewe, a female sheep, that the poor man's rich neighbor steals away from him. And we get a glimpse of David's self-righteous indignation. When Nathan tells him the story, David's response is that the man in this parable should die for his sin. He wanted to punish the wrongdoer. He was so full of himself that he could not see past the parable into his own dark secrets of of adultery, betrayal and murder. He's going, oh yes, that man should die. He's done a terrible thing. But Nathan, the true prophetic voice, responds by saying, you are the man. You are the man. And then goes on to tell him every single detail of his sin and the price that God has determined he shall pay for that sin. He tells him that the sword will never depart from his house and for the rest of David's reign. If you read the rest of David's story, it's not pretty. The sword will never depart from his house and for the rest of David's reign he deals with rebellion and murder and betrayal and plots from within his own family. He suffers shame and humiliation time and time and time again because our actions have consequences. Our heart attitudes have consequences. We can look all pretty in church and religious and all the rest of it but when we allow a wrong heart attitude to take root in us, 
us, it's going to bear fruit and the fruit is not going to be good. <sighs> to David's credit, and this is why I believe the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, because David's heart response when Nathan says, you're the man and this is what God has apportioned as your lot as a consequence of your sin. David has the right heart response. I repent. And if you've ever wanted to sense the depth of his repentance for this terrible sin that he's done, just read Psalm 51. When I came to the Lord, Psalm 51 was my anger. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Lord, we need a clean heart in your church. And then after David says to Nathan, this is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. I just want to bring something out here. After he says, I've sinned against the Lord, Nathan says to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You see what God does when we repent. You shall not die, however, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. What does that mean? Because you have given, because by this deed you have given occasion to the, to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. It means to, to scorn, to despise, to provoke to reject, and I can see it now because the enemies of the Lord were saying, here's this king who says he serves God. Here's this king who set up 24-7 worship. He's, he's got prayer going, intercession, prophetic worship, all these things. And in the background of his life, he's got this other thing going on that is totally ungodly. Why would we ever want to follow his God? There is a price to pay for our hard attitudes and our wrongful actions. I said at the beginning, uh, this message is about ecclesia. By now, you're probably going, he's got the wrong notes. What's he preaching? Let's go forward a few years. You see, God's response to David's repentance was to give him Solomon by the same wife, Bathsheba. You see the depth of God's forgiveness under the law. They should both have been put to death. But God birthed arguably the greatest king in Israel's history out of something that had wrong beginnings. See, God is a redeemer. He knows your story. And Solomon went on to write most of the book of Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. But what sparked my message today, before I started thinking about David and Bathsheba and the rooftop and all the rest of it, what sparked this message today was a single proverb that I read at the beginning of the week. It's this one, Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. 
And don't get confused by the word spirit there. Because we understand spirit to be what's brought to life in us and we are born again. In ancient Israel, spirit meant the person. Whoever has no rule over his own person, over his decisions, hard attitudes, all those things, is like a city broken down without walls. Uh, uh, whoever has no restraint, whoever has no self-control is what this means. Can we relate to that? Because the fruit of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Right? And we really need the context of history to see how huge a warning something in Proverbs 25 is to us today. Because, see, we live in a modern city. We live in the city of Liverpool. There's 220-odd thousand people in this city. It has no boundary walls around the outside because in our day, cities are huge. And in the days of air warfare and air strikes... Um, you could never build adequate protection from just walls. But in Solomon and David's days, walls were the city's primary defense. If you breach the walls, you conquer the city. Everybody knew this. It was during an age when wars were a constant. Every springtime, David went out to battle, except this one time, and disaster struck. Watchmen and sentries were posted 24 hours a day, seven days a week to defend cities, to look out, to defend, to make sure that the defences were not breached and the people were safe. Solomon here says that a man who does not rule over himself is just like a city whose walls have been destroyed. What happens when the city walls are destroyed in ancient Israel? The enemies come and go as they please. I would even suggest to you that Solomon was thinking about perhaps what happened with his own father. Perhaps he recognized that his own father was someone who did not rule over his own spirit well enough to defend himself against a single glimpse of a naked woman. Or maybe he wrote this at a time when he realized the depths of his own depravity and sin. How well do you know the story of Solomon? See, God blessed Solomon outrageously. Just the most outrageous blessing of anybody in the Old Testament, you could argue. God gave him incredible wisdom. He honoured him by entrusting the building of the temple to him. And when it was consecrated, the glory of God filled the place. And when all those priests blew the shofar, the glory of God, the smoke of heaven came and invaded that sanctuary to such a degree that no man could minister. No priest could minister. Everybody hit the floor. He gave him peace over the entire nation for his entire lifetime the nation was at peace and gave him incredible wealth but everybody say but he went on to marry 700 wives and had 300 concubines the mind boggles Oh, 
<laughs> I have no words to express how big a mistake that was. <laughs> and the results of that, 1 Kings 11, verse 4, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. And in verse 7 it says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And Molech was the idol along with Baal where they would get a huge furnace going and they would take their children and sacrifice them in the fire. This is Solomon who consecrated the temple and the glory showed up. Do you see what happens when you do not rule over your own spirit? And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods all over Israel. Altars raised up to every deity right alongside the worship to the God of Israel. Solomon invited the worship of demons into Israel. Though there was peace during his reign, sure enough, the walls of Jerusalem, the jewel in Israel's crown, eventually came down as Israel slid further and further away from God's ways. But it didn't happen straight away. And sometimes when you sow, you reap a long time after you've done your sowing. Anyone ever had a nasty surprise come back to bite them years after the fact? Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. This is a prophetic picture of the modern church. Yes, I'm going there. The Western church fought for a long time through persecution, trials, and seeking the Lord to be established. We were like David in his wilderness years. But once established, like David, and like Solomon after him, we forgot who and what got us there. The who was God. Do you understand that an ignorant shepherd boy who only knew how to look after a flock of sheep was in no way prepared to be a king, but God said, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to walk you through a process until you get to what I have for you. The who was God. The what was depending on him, coming to him, enthroning him, worshipping him, praying, interceding, fasting, prophesying, declaring, decreeing. Digging deep into the word of God, reaching out to those around us in love. That's, 
the fundamental thing about the Christian faith. They will know us by our love. Binding and loosing, tearing down principalities, powers and ruling spirits so that heaven can invade and so that culture can be transformed. That's our mandate. That's our responsibility. We don't just sit back and go, oh, you know, God's going to have his way because he's sovereign. God in his sovereignty entrusted these things to us. And if we do not rule over them, our walls come down. And instead of doing this and in staying, instead of making God the centerpiece of everything that the church has done, we were like David in the cool of the day. We strutted around on our palace rooftop terrace, surveying all that we had conquered when we should have been in the spiritual battle to disciple nations. And in our wealth, in our complacency and in our pride, we thought that when something sensual, prosperous and attractive was pre presented to us as being from God, we could invite it in and get away with it. It has cost us dearly and we have angered and grieved him. And worst of all, we have compromised the identity that Jesus paid for us to walk in. We have done this and our walls have come down and the enemy has come and gone as he wished, leaving trails of personal and corporate destruction in his wake, looting the sanctuary and defiling the temple. Gee, I'm glad the Lord gives me light messages. We have taken for granted what God gave us by his grace, ignoring the warnings that are applicable to every age, not just David, not just Solomon, not just the 12 disciples who couldn't stay loyal to Jesus. In every age, the answer is the same. The, the answer is not nested in some bright, shiny new theory on how to reach culture or grow churches. The answers to these issues are always from the Word of God and they are timeless. So God got me going on this theme of the walls that came down. Where is the answer to this in the Word of God? See, 500 years after Solomon wrote his proverb, perhaps meditating on his own failures and those of his father in the process, 500 years later at a time when the walls of Jerusalem were completely destroyed because of God's judgment that began so long before, God raised up a revivalist and a restorer named Nehemiah. And we're not going to go deep into his story today except to cover a couple of points and then see what God is asking us to respond to out of this. And Nehemiah surveyed the city walls that were broken down. And at one point, he stood where the walls of the city of David once stood. They were rubble. Everything that David had built was destroyed. The walls of the city had been torn apart. 
and having surveyed the destruction around him, perhaps from that very spot there. Let's just be reminded that this physically took place on the face of the earth. This is not just a spiritual parable. This is something that happened where a man of God came and surveyed the destruction of the most precious city on the face of the earth in God's eyes and was grieved and broken by what he found there. And having surveyed the destruction around him, he called the people to rebuild the walls in the face of huge opposition so that the city would truly honour God once more. Come on, God, do it again. <laughs> do it again, Lord. And Nehemiah, this is, this is a picture of God that is so beautiful because... <sighs> In Nehemiah, you see a picture of the humility of Jesus. You know, Jesus is the ultimate example of identifying with our sin because he literally became our sin. And when Nehemiah, who was a godly man, who had nothing to do with this whole destructive process, it's something that had happened 500 years ago when just the, 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 the evil was built upon and built upon and built upon by succeeding generations. This godly man who was raised up in the Babylonian Empire is sent to have a look at what's going on and he has a mandate to restore and to reform and to revive that which has been destroyed. And this, this man who is such a picture of Jesus, you can see it in what the Bible says. Because in Nehemiah 2, 17 to 18, after Nehemiah has gone and surveyed the walls, after he stood in that spot and said, look what ruin has been wrought here. He gathers the people and he says to them, you see the distress that we are in. Don't think for a moment that Jesus is not distressed by the state of the church. He is distressed. And you know those eyes of fire? Can I tell you that he is capable of great wrath and great anger? I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. I want to tell you, when you get into the perfect will of God for your life, no matter what you might be walking through, you can say the hand of the Lord is good upon my life. The hand of the Lord is good upon my life. He is good. He is faithful. He is just. He is merciful. He is righteous. And so, so gracious to every single one of us. What was their response? Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. It is a good work to build the defences of a city. It is a good work to take responsibility for what may not have happened on our watch but was being built upon by generation and generation of complacency. It is a good thing to say their sin 
is now our responsibility and we're going to do what's right. And when you read this story, I want to encourage you, you know, because like this is not just a story of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Just after I, I came back to the Lord, um, I was in church one morning and I'd been saved maybe a year or something and somebody came up and said, John, God wants you to read this book. And he hands, hands me this very dog-eared, hard copy, hard copy cover of a book called Rebuilding the Real You. And it's written by Pastor Jack Hayford. If you're in a place where, um, where God is rebuilding and restoring you, if you've come out of places of darkness and you want to know what God has in store for you, that book, Rebuilding the Real You, is tells the story of Nehemiah. The whole book is about Nehemiah. And all the way along, Jack Hayford pulls out these truths that are about us personally. See, every single one of us is a work of restoration in process. But here, we're diving in to what it means corporately to be a work of restoration. And when you read what happens after they... They say, yes, we're going to build. We're going to come together and we're going to do what's right. We're going to go after the things of God. We're going to build these walls up so that we are no longer a reproach. Our enemies are no longer just going to come and go and do what they want. When they made that decision, as they started the work, the enemy came against them in all sorts of ways, not least by his infiltration into the heart of the temple himself itself but Nehemiah equipped the people to simultaneously build and fight the church has been relatively good at building we have not been very effective at fighting Nehemiah 4 after all these challenges come up against them verse 17 those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. I watched a... Uh a 20-minute video a couple of weeks ago of an apostle in America called Dutch Sheets speaking about ecclesia. And he talked about how the church has been really good at doing family and not very good at doing ecclesia. Ecclesia is governmental. And we can build people up and see them restored in their personal identity. We can talk about how our relationships with each other are loving. We can express our love toward each other in all sorts of ways. But there is a point in the restoration of our lives, both personal and corporate, where we are no longer just children in the house of the Lord but we are soldiers, centurions, ambassadors under authority to take territory 
for the kingdom. And if we do not get this right in our generation, I fear for the future of our nations. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. When was the last time you took down a ruling spirit over your family? Thank you, whoever said that. <laughs> Laurelie. When was the last time you felt like you had the authority to pull down a ruling spirit over your community? When was the last time we gathered together as an ecclesia in governmental authority over our city? Do you know our city is basically without walls because the church has not done its job? The ecclesia has not done its job. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Can I tell you that the trumpet is sounding now? It's loud and clear. I'm the trumpet of the Lord in this place this morning. And I hope that what I'm speaking out is sounding loud and clear and provoking a response in your spirit. Because if we do not rule over this city, if we do not build the walls, somebody else will. The trumpet is sounding now, loud and clear. Nehemiah is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The people in the story in Nehemiah, the people in the story of the rebuilding and reformation of Jerusalem are representative of us. They're prophetic pictures of us as an ecclesia of the Lord. Nehemiah's en uh, enemies, Sanballat, Tobiah and the other fella, uh, I haven't got their names written down, Nehemiah's enemies are representative of the principalities, powers and ruling spirits opposed to the move of the Holy Spirit. And the transformation of community, communities, cities, states and entire nations is what is at stake in our generation. Church, it's time to take up the armour that we have discarded. It's time that we wield the sword of the Spirit against the enemies of the Lord. We are called to do this over our families. We are called to take authority and responsibility over what happens in each of our individual lives. And then God expands that sphere of influence, that oikos, to be over your family. That we should declare over our loved ones who are lost and away from the Lord that God will break through. It's time to repent and become dependent upon Him only once more. To come humbly before Him. To enthrone Him at the center of everything that we do. 
It's time to worship Him and pray and intercede and fast and prophesy and declare and decree and dig deep into the Word, reach out to those around us in love, bind and loose, tear down principalities, powers and ruling spirits so that heaven can invade and we see culture transformed. The transformation that I see coming to our ministry here is being expressed initially in quite small changes. You might think that, ah, that downloading a little app onto your phone is kind of meaningless in the bigger context of things. But I want to tell you that that little app gives you immediate access into the life groups that launched over the last week. And I'm pleased to say that the response has been overwhelming. And see, let me show you one, just one little fruit of, of the launching of these groups. I'll show you a couple. That little Amira that we prayed for this morning during the week was prayed for in groups by more than 50 people. We prayed for our city. We prayed for our church. We prayed for a number of things. And whenever you're wondering, God, what should I pray for today? Out loud with my brothers and sisters. You can open up that little device and go to your group and you'll see there's the prayer notes. This is what we're praying into this fortnight. These are the challenges that our brothers and sisters are facing. This is what we're praying into as a family. And here's what we're praying into as an ecclesia. God's taught me that you get what you preach. Sometimes you have to preach it for a while. Get used to it. Because the journey that God currently has us on as a body of believers is the journey into Ecclesia on the one hand and the journey into the book of Acts on the other. And I believe with all my heart that as we dive deeper and deeper into what God has for us, we are going to see the most extraordinary things happen. We need to learn how to operate in the authority that Jesus died, was buried and rose again for us to have. Can I get the worship team up, please? There are people here today that have not yet dealt with the type of sin 
that David that brought about David's downfall. There are people here today whose city walls have been compromised because you have not ruled over your own spirit with self-control. When I say spirit, I should say soul, mind, will and emotions. There is a uh, level of authority available to us that becomes more and more powerful the more and more that our walls are built and restored properly so that the enemy cannot come and go as he pleases. There are other people here this morning and your walls look pretty good but there's no gates there. And the enemy comes in and out as he pleases. God is wanting to deal with us individually in these areas but he is also simultaneously dealing with us as a body of believers to walk in the fullness of everything that we are called to. And I don't know about... I can't speak for your relationship with God. I can only speak for mine. I can see what, what's happening in the Spirit within this body of believers. But I can speak with deadly accuracy about what's happening in me. And I believe that what's happening in me is an invitation to all of us. And that is that whenever we come before God, it is with uh, uh, a, 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 a holy desperation mixed with joy. <laughs> that God, there is more. And I'm not striving to achieve. I am not ambitious except for the kingdom of God. And my heart's cry is, God, the areas in me that you see that nobody else does, please, Lord, come and deal with them so that I can walk in the authority, the fullness of what I read about in your word every day. See, God meant it. When he commissioned us to disciple nations, God meant it when he said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against my ecclesia. God meant it. When he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, to Judea, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He laid it all out for us, this mandate. And wherever we have been compromised or wherever we are compromised currently, it's dealt with in a very straightforward manner that we recognize the areas where we have allowed the enemy to come and go as he pleases, and we repent. When we repent, God's got this beautiful way of coming in and removing that influence while simultaneously teaching us how to build a wall to restore where the breach was so that that enemy cannot come back. 
Sometimes that means that we need the ministry that Jesus entrusted to his disciples of deliverance and of inner healing. Sometimes we can't do it by ourselves. That's why part of this process of transformation is that we want to build those ministries in our church, deliverance and inner healing, so that everybody walks in the freedom that that, that is available to everybody off the back of this repentant heart attitude. We don't have to walk in guilt, shame or condemnation. We don't have to walk trapped in the things of our past. God said, God said, God said, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't settle for less than everything that God has promised you. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Kerry's going to come and bring a, a prophetic word. I'm just wondering if we could do uh, Holy Spirit. Can we do Holy Spirit? And just play that quietly in the background as Kerry comes and prophesies. Sandra, if you could come up because I want that word of knowledge released. God gave me this word some time ago, more than a week ago. I saw God giving us a bunch of keys. And these were keys, and I saw the doors. The doors were rusty. They were ancient. They were heavy doors that have not been opened for a long time. And God said, the time is now and the time is ripe for these doors to be opened. And ask God, what are these doors? They look like they've not been opened for a long time. And I say, it, like the doors were like even neglected and started to rust and started to rot. And I believe God is saying that these are the gates and the doors of his kingdom the gates and doors of his kingdom that the church has been pursuing our own selfish ambition or building our own kingdom we have neglected the doors of the kingdom and and the the church has been built not on God, but a lot on our own flesh and our own human wisdom. But God say, I'm giving these keys to you right now. You have the keys to open this door, the, the doors of God's kingdom. Okay? And He said, I'm bringing a transformation to my church worldwide where my bride will unlock these ancient doors to allow the Holy Spirit to move and guide and the Shekinah glory of God to be poured out on His church. The church will move away from me to Him. Hallelujah. And His name will once more be held high and be glorified. And everyone will see the King of glory, great and mighty. And God said, we are not playing church anymore, but I say kingdom. 
And God said, My church is not blindfolded and gagged, but it will take its rightful place to build, to tear down, to speak, to declare, to decree, and de- to, uh, de- to decree and to declare. And God said, I'm returning my voice, his voice, to the church. That they will be bold. Just like in the book of Acts, the spirit of boldness. Because I've emboldened them in all things. My ecclesia is going to rise. And I'm giving them the keys to unlock the doors of the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Just one minute. You know, uh, for all the compromise that has compromised the church around the world, it hasn't all been bad news. Because over the last generation or couple of generations, God has been restoring an understanding of certain emphases of ministry in the church. The ministries of worship and prayer and intercession and fasting have gone to new levels in the church. The ministry of prophecy and the office of the prophet has been restored. Declaration, decree. There are fresh revelations coming from the Word of God. There uh, is a new expression of love coming from the church. There is an understanding of spiritual warfare that was, you know what, it became a bit of a fad in the 90s and the church kind of moved on from it with never, but without achieving what God meant when he released spiritual warfare back to the church. We did not go on with the job and we're going back on with it now. That's why he says you shall bind and loose. Why have we forgotten that? There are keys. These are the keys. Intimacy with the Lord. That prostrating yourself in His presence. The beautiful anointing on worship where we just come before Him with open hearts. These are, these are keys to the kingdom that God is releasing. And He's just asking us to take hold of them and start using them. And He will restore the voice to the church. One of those expressions is the prophetic word of knowledge. Right? One of those things is prophetic worship. One of those is the power of decree. One of those is a fresh expression of miracles like we are believing for for little Amira this morning. The restoration of families. The putting away of cancer from our families. The restoration of relationships in families. All these things that have been broken, God wants us to step into from a place of authority. Now, Sandra, you had a word of knowledge for somebody who's got a physical problem? Yes, this morning, um, or the last couple of days, I've been experiencing above both of my knees a lot of pain. Well, this morning, um, I was talking to Julie and she prayed for me and, and the pain's nearly gone. But if there's somebody here, more than one, you have pains on the above your knees in both legs. 
So if that's you, please come out and get really believe that the Lord can heal. Now, I, th- I believe that there's somebody on live stream that needs that condition prayed into. So Sandra, there's the camera. Pray into that camera and just declare that that spirit is bound and that they are loose from their affliction. Heavenly Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the word you gave me. And I write, ask you right now in the name of Jesus, whoever is watching on live stream will be totally healed from the pain in both above their knees. Lord, I believe and I ask right now for complete healing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Sandra, I recognize the authority with which you prayed there. You prayed with authority. You prayed with assurance that God was going to do what you were praying. We must come to a place of authority, not, oh, please, God, will you heal my big toe? It's like we start to make declarations that are bold, declarations that speak of freedom in all sorts of different realms. Can we stand up this morning? And as we invite the Holy Spirit to come, if there is something personal that you need to deal with, Church, let's not play church. If there's something you need to deal with, I believe that there is something that happens in response to our faith when we step out of our seats and we come down the front and we ask the Lord to come and deal with us. There is something of manifest presence when we present ourselves physically before Him. If you've never done something like this before, let me tell you, it is profound. If you have never prayed prostrated on your face before God, in the middle of the night, can I commend this practice to you? Because God will do something in you when you do that. Let's step into these places where God can set us free. Holy Spirit, would you come this morning as we worship you? Okay, there's, uh, there's somebody here this morning and uh, you've, uh, one, of the, one of the breaches in your walls has been in the area of suicide where uh, the enemy has tried to come and tell you that you would be better off dead and that in some measure you have come into agreement with his spirit and it comes and goes as it pleases. You don't know why it comes. You don't know where, you don't know how to, to cut it off. God wants to cut it off this morning. If this is your issue, if you are plagued by thoughts of suicide, God wants to set you free this morning. I just speak to those on live stream. If there's somebody who's been persecuted by this spirit of suicide, in the name of Jesus, I bind the spirit and I tell you to get off that person now. I thank you, Father God, that that person right now on live stream is being set free in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come to this place and minister to us as we humble ourselves before you. Thank you, Lord. Ministry team, if you're in the ministry team, come and help pray for people.